like we should have probably opened with the Eurovision music this week. Who says after this is mixed that I won't? Uh, well, so hold along. on a second. Are you suggesting Stop. to people that we record this and then put it together later? Is that what you're saying? We're not saying? talking to them live in their ears, put it that way. It wow. is episode 10 Stop. of News Talk. It is episode 10, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like I've kind of skipped one or something of News Talk. That's because SSE. you weren't here for one. So you have I, skipped one. But so I, to was, you, but I was kind of You were here half first. here. So was, to you, it's nine and a half. Yeah. To me, a man has been fully committed from the start. It's episode 10. Of News Talk's SSE Eritricity League podcast. My name is Richie McCormick. His name is... O'Shane Langan. Not Nicky Byrne, thankfully for you. Although uh, Nicky is a far better goalkeeper than O'Shane will ever hope to be. He I, is, but not a far better singer, judging by sunlight. The Simon Cowell of News Talk's SSE or Tristan Lee podcast there. Uh, what a week it has been. Shamrock Rovers, three games now without conceding a goal. And they're right back on track and up into third in the Premier Division. Uh, meanwhile, Bo's woes continue. Uh, scored against Finn Harps on Friday, missed that last minute penalty and also went down to Cork on a sudden Tuesday night at Daily Mount Park. We'll reflect on the week's action with Damien Lynch this week and we'll also get a very special look back at the early 80s. A uh, period that we're both fairly knowledgeable about, more so than today, because we're both old. Uh, we're going to be speaking to uh, dual sports star Tony Ward. Triple sports star. Triple. St- Here we go. Actually, quadruple. In a way, You'll find yeah. out more. You'll find out. Yeah, we speak to Tony about his uh, remarkably successful but brief uh, tenure in a Limerick jersey. Let's pause for some Jimmy McGee. Tony Ward. In comes Storm. It's there. Brendan Storm has scored for Limerick. That was Jimmy. That was brilliant. Talking about Tony. That particular bit of Jimmy McGee commentary. And Limerick uh, winning the FA Cup. Did we throw some uh, rugby commentary in there from Tony Ward's career as well? Posthumously. Sorry, after we recorded. We need the wahoo from the old Grand Slam from 2009. That's what we need. (laughs) I thought it was Tony Ward, of course. Sorry, I was like, but he didn't play in 2009. No, he was beside Ryle. I know, yeah. And shouted, woohoo! That was the one moment he got heard beside Ryle in any game they've ever done together. Try! <laughs> Let's bring <laughs> in to do his Royal Nugent. His Royal Nugent is actually, actually pretty good. Actually, should we name him? Should we? We'll bleep that Ah, out. he wasn't going to watch it anyway. Go on. <laughs> That's just one <laughs> part of the week's news. Let's get the rest from my colleague. Everyone starts going. Here's the gaffer. Quick. Call. And George Houston. Oh, they smashed it. into the Derry penalty area and a thumping header from Sean Houston. The familiar voice of Dave McIntyre describing Sean Houston's equaliser for Finn Harps in the 2-0 draw with Derry live on Satanta Sports. That game going on in the Brandywell. Now Derry could have won it even after that but Nathan Boyle missed an absolute sitter. Here is Derry's boss Kenny Shields. Breaking delivery into the path of Vemelin. Gets it across! Oh it's been pulled wide! The goal at his mercy! I thought it was a great opportunity and but Nathan has won matches for us here this season, so we have to give him credit for that. And um, it just wasn't to be. It's in the gods. I think God maybe pulled that one wide for some reason. Kenny Shields speaking to our friends in Drive 105 Derry. Finn Harps now 8th, 7 points clear of bottom side Longford, who lost 4-2 at home to Wexford Hughes. Now their keeper Gary Delaney took to Twitter to clarify he did not score two own goals at City Calling Stadium. Anyway, back to Harps and their manager, Ollie Horgan, who spoke to Donegal Sports Hub. Derry were the better side. We're not making any complaints about it. I would, I would fancy Derry being the better side against the majority of the League of Ireland sides, especially here in the Brandywell. Uh, look, uh, I mean, 
they, they, they technically, you know, the, the, the patterns of play are excellent. We, we may not have the quality of players that they have, but we try to make up for it in, in other ways. And we'll probably show that tonight with, with the equalising goal in particular. Cork City lie in wait for Derry on Friday and they remain second, four points behind Dundalk who beat Bray 1-0 at home. Boyle with that goal, by the way. City winning 1-0 away to Bohemians in a rainy and wet Daly Mount Park. Rainy and wet, probably the same. Anyway, you get what I mean. Gary Buckley with the goal just after half-time. Veteran City defender Alan Bennett on why he thinks they had such a slow start in that game. I, I think that was probably because, as you said, we played on the Saturday, whereas mm. most other teams were played on the Friday. So probably took a little bit to get the journey over legs as well. And once we got going, um, the lads played excellent, you know. It's a real pleasure to play. Strikers win your games, defenders win your, win your league. So um, we just got to keep doing our job and keep grafting away. And we're happy with the things you get tonight. Bulls boss Keith Long has watched his team fail to win for the fifth game in a row. And he's given an honest appraisal of their form and why it's so poor. You know, I'm not happy with the goal. I'm not happy, you know, with, with the way the team is playing at the moment. Yeah, we've got to do better 1v1. Defenders get, get tight, stop crosses, force defenders away or attackers away from goal. That's the basis of the game when you, you, you know, when it comes to defending. And then when it comes into the box, you've got to head it and kick it. You know, but we, we we're just not doing that. And but it's more than that. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a team. It's one to eleven, and, and defending starts from the front. We'll have a look at that. We'll analyse that, and um, you know, we have to rectify it quite quite quickly. Galway United are six points off the top four after a three 0 defeat to St Pat's, who keep in mind were without Christy Fagan. That's four games without a win for the tribesmen. John O'Sullivan was sent off for the hosts after forty four minutes, and manager Tommy Dunn told John Mulligan of Galway Bay FM his team need to start defending right, and that's something they haven't been doing in the last couple of games. It's, it all hinges on the decisions that are made in the first half. That decision to send off John Sullivan, do you think that was a turning point? That's a major turning point. But again, it's, it's on 40 minutes when he gets sent off. We, if we defend ourselves, you can win at nil-nil. And then if you keep defending properly and doing things right, they get down to 10 men. Next of all, it's game on again. But you see, we, we uh, have this... Uh, looseness in us that uh, we, we lack concentration at critical times and that's what cost you tonight Caroline the arse has ripped out of me trousers here so yeah good week for Rovers continuing on their recent fine form especially defensively they found the goal as well which is not what we can say for Bohemians they've now gone and I did rob this stat from uh, Dodge on Twitter earlier on this morning. 591 minutes League and Cup without a goal, which is a rather startling and stark statistic. Dodge is one man I would never mess with because he can cut you in half with a statistic. Just one stat. Uh, yeah, but uh, from one Pats man, I suppose, to another. Damien Lynch, you're very welcome back to the podcast. Cheers, Richie. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not going to lie to you, Damo. Pretty, pretty grim after the past <laughs> seven days and after the past... I suppose 11-12 games of the season so far which for Bows mm. it started off pretty shabbily for them and it is that lack of goals that's really costing them I suppose Yeah it's been a, oh, an unbelievably bad start for them you know um, I remember at the start of the season I always find that if someone has a good run of games the previous season and then they, they, there's a big expectation on them because I think there was a bit of expectation on Keith Long this year it's difficult to fulfil particularly the previous year there was probably just something special there that just everyone got together and it's, it's very hard to maintain that as you go so yeah, it's been a pretty dire start for both particularly the, where they're sitting in the table so um, yeah, I, I can feel your pain What about Keith Long's stance last week he came out and said their pitch was terrible this week last night you just heard it there he said that the players 
didn't do their jobs, they didn't defend right and it's not the first time. How do players feel when a manager comes out publicly and says something like that? Is it very much a, a make or break tactic? Um, it is. I think it's one of them. It's so finely balanced how you how you treat that. I always found that um, if a manager was straight and honest with us in the dressing room and, and sort of shielded his players from that, that, I always found that was the best way to go. Um, I've had other managers though that have come out and be very open and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't if it was me sitting in that dressing room listening to someone questioning me in the media or or openly questioning me i wouldn't be overly happy so it's kind of like rolling the dice to see where they where you know there's a lot of pressure building there so you're trying to roll the dice and say you know the other ways of, of sort of molly coddling them for want of a better word hasn't yeah. worked maybe if i put a rocket up them uh, maybe this will this will uh, work but there can be severe consequences for a manager when they do that. So it'll be very interesting to see the reaction of the Bowes players off the back of that. As fans, we love branding and we love saying, you know, oh, that's terrible. That that means there's a split. You shouldn't slag your players off like that. Or we may also go down the road of, oh, he's challenged them now. Now they've, they've got to raise it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really that simple, I imagine, Damien. It's different, um, it's different in every situation. Very different. I think dealing with the media nowadays, uh, it's very... Because... The media complains the managers aren't open and honest and, and everything is bland. And when they're actually open and honest and say something, the media then says, oh, it's a bad idea to do that. The players are going to turn them. So as a manager, it's a no-win situation, you know, um, from their perspective. But looking at this, this situation in particular, and a couple of times when I've been in, in sort of dire dressing rooms once or twice in my career, uh, you have to look around and see who's in there and have you got enough leaders? Like, I think leadership, it comes back to everything. If you've got the right leaders in there, you, you can generally... You know, go in front of the media and say that everything's okay. But if you notice people in the dressing room, not just yourself as the manager, you need. Five, I find there's always you needed three leaders in a dressing room that can stand up, and they're they're pretty much managing the dressing room for you. When you look at the likes of Dundalk, you know, you look around them, it, it, the unity that you see in that, and even I was at the Derry game last night, you could just see that. I'm trying to very mechanically about it. There's, there's just a unity within the group, and if uh, Key Long feels that's not there. Sort of the last last chance saloon that he just said he'd try something different, but um, yeah, very unique situation for for managers when they do this. Uh, it, it is a gamble. It is it is an odd situation because it is a dressing room that does contain the likes of Derek Pender, does contain the likes of Dave Mulcahy, and there are other senior figures in there as well as a lot of young players, as players who've been around the club, uh, I suppose, long enough to know the lay of the land there as well. But that lack of goals, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in dressing rooms where you've gone nearly what six hours, whatever it is, or ten hours, sorry, without a without a goal uh, in terms of football and like how does a team go around because it's not just a striker situation this it becomes something that spreads throughout the team and imagine how does the team go about arresting that kind of decline yeah it's something that's going to play an awful uh, thing in their mind you know all the players and that's where you start looking to other people in the team you know set pieces become so important then if you can get a good delivery into the box because generally we, we see when there's when there's a, a run of games where you're not scoring goals it's generally a scrappy goal that will get you back and they, they, they really just need one or two like you look at Akinadi up top I think he's a decent player like they've got good players all around the park but it's starting to become a mental thing now I'd imagine you know you're not scoring goals so before the game you're really worried, and then if you concede a goal, all of a sudden you're thinking, "Well, we're not going, we're not going to score a goal," and, and then everything just becomes disjointed and, and disappointing. So, from Keith Long's perspective, I think he just needs to get that positive attitude there, kind of forget about what's gone on uh, in the past, and just start a clean slate and say, "Listen, guys, let's go out." For me, Richard, it always goes back to keeping clean sheets. I know scoring goals is so important. But at the same time, keeping clean sheets is, is, is what you need. It's like If they can get a couple of draws back-to-back, 
all of a sudden you're, you're going unbeaten and then that's the most important thing and then you, a goal will come eventually. So um, from a Keelong perspective, I really think he needs to focus in on clean sheets um, and the goal will come. Like it, There's no doubt they're not going to go the full season without goals. In the next couple of games, a couple of chances are going to fall to them. They're going to be scrappy or whatever and they'll get something over the line. But no good if you're 2-0 down at that stage and uh, and then you get your goal. So for me, it's, it's Keith needs to start with, with clean sheets and build from there and, and move forward. And they'll hope those bo- goals start to come on Saturday when they're away to Sligo Rovers now you mentioned it there you were in Derry last night for Satanta Ireland you watched Finn Harps against Derry 2-all it finished a belter of a game well worth the drive Damien yeah it's a hell of a trek up there I'd forgotten how long it was but um Totally worth it. When we got up there, you know, uh, there was a good atmosphere around the place. And even beforehand, when we were doing the, the the pre-game interviews, all the dirty players coming in, we were speaking, and it was all about revenge for them. And they were saying, first game of the season, they were expecting to go out and kick on, and, and they lost uh, to their to their rivals, their closest rivals. So you were looking at that, you were expecting. Derry to really come out of traps, but it was actually Finn Harps who were who played very well in the first half. Um, they got the ball down exceptionally well at times, and what I was really impressed with Finn Harps last night, their mix of the game, because they went long uh, in periods of the game where they were willing to concede possession and they were just willing to, to push up, you know, but then the goal that they got it was from a fantastic build-up of play, and they were well worth their lead at halftime, um, but full credit to Derry getting back into it like lots of character there and really impressed with the dressing room there you could just feel that they kept ticking over and in the middle of the park McCormick in particular really got them going McCormick and McAniff were, were excellent Ward had a decent chance and there was relentless pressure coming on Finn Harps and they go 2-1 up and then not win the game in, it would have been so disappointed for Kenny Shields so Full credit to, to Ollie Horgan so for getting back into the game. I really didn't fancy them getting back into it, and it was actually a phenomenal header from Houston from the middle of the park. Um, he was probably 12 yards out. To get the angle and the header that he did was was really, really impressive. And Overall, a really, really great game of football. Uh, Derry missed an absolute sitter of a chance in the last minute to go on and win the game. So I think Kenny Shields was very honest in his interview afterwards, but... Uh, both sides, I think Derry will challenge for the top three, top four spots this year. Uh, I think Finn Harps will be very comfortable in mid-table. They, they have enough in there, and I think they can they can kick on now. But I think Patterson is key for Derry to do well this year. Were you buying that uh, line from Kenny Shields, things after Friday's game, where he was still pointing towards that their goal for the season, I suppose much in the same way that Claudio Ranieri did across Channel uh, up until recently enough, said their goal for the season was to avoid relegation. And Anthem beyond that was a bonus. I mean, you're talking about a side who are clearly going to be in the top three come the season's end uh, what does the dressing room think of that do you think that might have played a part maybe in their I suppose falling behind last night and inability to put the game away or is it something they wouldn't have taken any notice of and they know where they can go this season themselves I, I think he's a very astute manager and knows what he's doing and um, what he's saying to the media this is definitely a case what he's saying to the media is very different to what he's saying to the players uh, he's certainly not bigging them up too much and Richie, when you look at where they've, what they've had done over the last few years, it's no doubt what he's saying is, is true. You know, they've had a bit of a horrendous patch up in Derry over the last couple of years. So for him to say what he's saying, oh, I think that's genuine. Let's get to the third round of games where, like, they've had a great first round of games, a decent, but like they've done better than the in the second round, the first game. They've got a point out where they didn't in the first round. So when you see where they are now, if they can do as well in the second round, see where they, where they are, they can consolidate. But I genuinely do believe, given the way the club has been run over the last couple of years and where they've finished, yeah, number one for them is not is avoiding relegation uh, and kicking on. But when, when I saw them play, I watched them against Dundalk, I've watched them in a couple of games, and then even last night, you just feel he's done something really well within the group. Like, there's no unbelievably star players. Patterson's come back in, 
and he looks like he's fit, he looks hungry, and he could be one of the top three centre forwards in the league this year. Like you look at his finish, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, the goal that he got. So yeah, I think he, I think he's building something really well there. They'll get through the second round of games. I think they'll be mid to top of the top tier of the table, and I can see them kicking on then. So um, really impressive what Kenny Shields has done. Six goals for Patterson so far in the league. He's been on fire, and his goal last night was a thing of beauty. Kenny Shields on the sideline. You got a good look at him in his home place last night, and all you could hear in the background was Kenny Shields shouting and roaring. Now you couldn't make out what he was saying, but you knew that the players were listening. What did you make of it? You were close to it. Close to it. Um, you know, were the players responding? And does he have to watch that because that that's fine for a while, maybe? But after a while, that gets a bit tiresome with players. Or can do. I don't, you can tell me. Yeah, he's more. He goes, he's more the Diego Simeone of management, where you can see him on the side of the pitch, sort of remonstrating um, and and going, sort of really getting into it. Which is, I suppose, as a manager, that's that's quite good. Um, as a player, if you can see your manager up for it, I suppose you have to temper that slightly because if you start making players nervous and that, that's not good. Particularly when you're playing fullback or if you're one of the a young lad in the team and you see your manager remonstrating on the side of the pitch, that that's never good. So he has to be careful of that. But I wouldn't be overly worried with that. He's a very very uh, astute manager as I was saying knows the game he's been around the game and he's building something there I think what goes on in the dressing room is that there's a unity behind that side so um, he seems very much in line with, with, with knowing what he wants to do the players look on board with it so I don't see that having a detrimental effect to the dressing room at all now looking ahead to uh, to this weekend's games there are a couple of crackers and Derry do feature uh, in one of those it is away to Cork City and I don't know, are we looking at two genuine title challengers here or is it up to Cork really to prove that they have the metal to go and test Galway beyond this game? Yeah, I think it's, Cork is a, a bit of an enigma to me. Like, I, I really fancied them this year. I think I said it on the first time I was on the podcast was they, they've got a great chance now this year to go on and really do something uh, and challenge Dundalk, particularly after the, the Shield game when they went on and beat them. But... I don't know. They seem to be just lacking something, Cork. That little bit of edge or something. Like, having watched Dundalk last week... They look phenomenal again. The only thing I would say with Dundalk is their squad looks a little bit light, and I imagine Stephen Kenny will do something about that. But I think when you look at this weekend's game, I think Cork should definitely be in the top two this year. They certainly have the talent there. They've got the way the, the sort of wages behind them to have the best players there. Have they got enough to, to kick on and challenge Derry? Really, at this moment in time, I'd say no. But they should certainly be a top two side. Derry, on the other hand, I think everything after sort of staying up as a bonus for them why not try and kick on and do well in a couple of, in a cup or something like that but they'll be there thereabouts I certainly don't see Derry as a as a top two team maybe the top four if they were to finish fourth or third I think that would be a phenomenally successful season for Derry this year so that that's how I would see, how I'd range the two teams at the moment You're going to be at the St. Pats against Longford game because that's on Satanta Ireland Pats with a 3-0 win away to Galway during the weekend and an Oliver twist they did it without Fagan They did yeah um Good to see Pat's, Pat's getting the goals there. I think Longford looked to be in a lot of trouble. Um, it's one of them where if Pat's turn up and, and get going, like I've seen them a lot this year, it goes to a lot of Pat's games, and when they get going and get playing well, I think Fagan is key for them, though. When he's up top, he's such a threat, and he's actually a good link man as well. I'd fear for Longford if Pat's get a, get a, a run of steam going early in that game. Sorry, I'd fear for Longford if Pat's get a run of steam going in that game. So uh, I, I'd fancy them again this weekend to kick on and get three points, and they're another team that you'd want to be up in the top four. You know, um, They've got a good squad there. I think uh, they've re- built slightly in the middle of the park but I think they've got enough there to certainly be challenging in the top four 
Yeah, and that game will be live on Satanta Ireland this coming Friday night. Uh, Damien Lynch, thanks as always for joining us on New Sox SSE or Trisha League podcast. Cheers, lads. It's intermission time. We're happy to have you with us tonight and hope you'll come back often. You are listening to News Talks SSE, our Chissy League podcast, and it is time to bring up a very, very, very special guest and one who would be at home on many's the pitch, be it rugby, be it also cricket, as you will hear. Uh, but once in 1982, and indeed for a little spell around that as well, he was very much at home on the fields of Marketsfield. You're the first rugby international to get a cup winner's medal in Ireland. Congratulations. Thanks very much, They just Jim. can't stay out of the news. And besides which, you played extremely well, <laughs> may I say. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much, but staying on for the right reasons this time, Jim. <laughs> but what was, it, what was it like to play in out there? Fabulous. The only thing, the conditions were um, pretty bad. In fact, they're even worse now, but they were bad during the game, which made good football difficult. So I thought in the circumstances, it was a good game. Tony, you had a couple of good runs in the second half, but you did you did kind of enjoy yourself, I thought. I did, but then we had the cushion of the lead at halftime, which, as Owen said, we would have been happy to win with a scoreless draw at halftime, but we were goal in front, which made it so much easier in the second half. So then when Kevin put the long balls down, we just kept them pinned down there. And it was just a matter of sitting on the lead. Tony Ward, welcome. How do you feel when you hear that from 1982? Clips of the commentary, Jimmy McGee doing the voiceover, and of course Jim Sherwin interviewing you and your teammates after the game. What a dreadful interview, I have to say, from the interviewee's point of view. Awful. Uh, nice, obviously, such a long time ago. Uh, but it was a great time. It was a great period, you know, in uh, Limerick's football history, uh, driven, obviously, by own hand. And it was great to be part of that at the time. How did you come to be involved in it, Tony, for those who don't know? Oh, what happened when she was, I was down in, um, I, was, I went to college in Limerick between 1974 and 78. And then when I qualified, uh, I went back to Limerick. I spent the best part of a decade there, and to be absolutely honest, it was because of my my love for sport and, and the passion for sport in Limerick. It just won me over, and I just loved my time there. Um, and it coincided, because when I went to Limerick, I, I was actually playing, football was my main sport, soccer, when I was a kid, even though I played rugby as well. I played the two of them. Um, but when I went to Limerick, I was playing with Shamrock Rovers at the time, um, but it was difficult going to college and travelling. Say, for example, Rovers were playing in, in Bally Buffet or Kilcoan Park in Waterford, trying to get back to Limerick on a Sunday night after a game. Uh, so it meant I was arriving back on a Monday and missing lectures, etc. So at the time, uh, it was too long a story to go into now, rugby beckoned through Gary Owen, and I began playing rugby at a serious level down there, and eventually it, it did become the, um, the, 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 the game that 
took over my life for quite a period. And obviously, you've achieved great things in, in, in rugby, becoming a lion and winning against the All Blacks in 1978 with Munster and, and, and many other achievements that we could name. But did did kind of certain things have to happen for you to play soccer that year for Limerick in 1982? Was it just kind of a, a series of events? Because I know that you yourself have talked about this in the past, that you kind of felt bad for, for not being there all the time for Limerick, but you played when you could. Yeah, no, the, the, the lads were great. They're a great bunch, <laughs> that, the crew from 82, some of the greatest players in the history of the game. I say 82, but it was that period. It was really between 80 uh, and 82. And there, there were players who had been there long before that. I mean, all the obvious ones like Kevin Buspatrick, Al Fanouk and Joe Mahoney, who sadly is no longer with us, uh, Pat Nolan, Johnny Walsh, great stalwarts, Desi Kennedy, great stalwarts of the club. Um, my problem was, obviously, that rugby was my main sport at that time with Gary Owen, with Munster, with Ireland, etc., um, so it was difficult combining seasons when they ran parallel. But when we were knocked out of the cup as early as we were that season, um, it meant and when you're knocked out of the cup early, invariably it means around March. So it meant that I was available for um, for the, the, the cup run. I think I played in every game that in the cup run bar one. I think I might have missed the semi for the first game in the semi final, and then I played in the replay against that loan of I remember in Tonka Park. But I think I played every game in that cup run. Um, and also, I, I, I was usually available at the start of the season, you know, in August, because the rugby season didn't start until September. So I remember again playing in, you know, some very prestigious friendlies like Man United and Spurs. And, you know, there were great games and, and big occasions, obviously, in Limerick at the time. But the lads were very understanding uh, of the situation. And when I was available, they wanted me to play. And I was only too delighted to oblige. On the other side of the coin, you said the lads amongst the, the Limerick squad were fairly obliging and also the coaching staff as well. How about the other side of things uh, on the rugby front? Did they? I know you mentioned in your autobiography, the IRFU just kind of let you get on with it, didn't really say anything. Was that a case that, uh, sure, listen, it's not infringing on what we do? Uh, or was it a case that they didn't really know the extent to which you're involved in the Limerick? No, I, I, probably the former. Yeah. It, it didn't impinge on anything. And if, if anything, Richie, to be honest, it helped my fitness at the time. Okay. Because there's two different... Uh, that was the one thing I did find difficult when I was trying to balance them uh, early on in my career. That you, I, I played on both wings, on the left and right wing, even though I started as a midfield player. And um, when I started playing rugby, you had to be that little bit heavier. Now, nothing like today when you look at the weight of players today in the professional game by comparison. But even back then, you had to have that bit more meat on you to survive in, in rugby at the higher levels. And then trying to combine that with playing football, where you needed to be obviously quicker and more agile and all those sort of things, that was a difficult balancing act at the time. So factors like that came into play as well. But it was difficult, and yet it was certainly worthwhile. I guess back then, Tony, people would have said that sociologically, rugby and football were very different sports. But did you find that whether you were with the football guys or with the rugby lads, lads were lads, players were players, regardless of which code and all of that stuff about, you know, people being different and being from different backgrounds. That kind of, it was cliched. It, it was a nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go back further than that, Oshin. When I was growing up, I, I'm from Harold's Cross, from a very working class part of Dublin. I'm proud of my roots. I played for um, Harold's Cross Boys originally and then OLO or Our Lady of the Rosary. And then I played for Rangers, who were the top club on the south side in, in those days in Bushy Park. And it was a very working-class game, and I loved it. And, and uh, we played football, soccer, morning, noon, and night. And I happened to go to a school, a very good school, St. Mary's College of Rapmines, that played rugby. So I got the opportunity to play rugby. I was very fortunate. But I did both. 
And yeah, you did mix in different circles, but I didn't see any difference whatsoever. Never have, never will. And I think that's probably what won me over when I went to Limerick. I could identify with sport in Limerick because that's the way I had been brought up in Dublin, very far from the D4 image that's portrayed of rugby and the school's rugby image on the south side of Dublin that's also unfairly portrayed in my view. So Limerick won me over straight away and to play sport in Limerick is a very special experience and to really understand it, you have to play there and I lived that for the best part of a decade. Is that something that's kind of easier to do in a more populous area then? In what way? How do you mean, Richard? If there's more people around essentially then you've got more options to both, I suppose, split your time between rugby and soccer. Yeah, probably. Do you mean compared to rural areas? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but probably. Um, I, I, I didn't even think about things like that. I mean, you know what we were all like when we played sports? I mean, I played other sports too. I played because of the school I went to, I got an opportunity to play cricket. So I understand cricket to this day and I think it's a fantastic game. I'm with you there. Becoming, and it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. I'm delighted to say. Um, and I played tennis and I, I did athletics and I did everything. That's what you did when you were a kid. We probably did much more in our day than kids do today because of other distractions so to speak um so you didn't really think about that you just played and did whatever was available and i was no different in that respect because you played multiple sports at a high level as an adult and you got to enjoy them would you say to people now look don't rush mid-teens you know people who are 15 and 16 into choosing one sport because we're seeing that now in all sport in rugby hurling soccer they're being told if you want to specialize you have to pick young and maybe that's unfair pressure to put on a kid yeah, I think so. Yeah, I happen to agree with that. I also, when I went to college, the reason I went to Limerick was to go to uh, what's now the University of Limerick, was the National College of Physical Education at the time. So I went to do a PE degree, and, and that's what my degree is in. Um, so because of that, I'm very interested in sport. So my philosophy on sport, in life, in schools in general, is exactly what you just said, O'Shane, about trying to play as many sports as long as possible. And I don't care what code it is whether it's Gaelic games, rugby, soccer, give it a go and then eventually decide what you want to do. Unfortunately, we're seeing earlier and earlier that kids, and and my own main sport, which is rugby, that's where I earn my living, um, is pushing kids more and more to make that decision and trying to identify talent earlier, to screen them, to get them into academies. And I find that sad because I really think that there is a very positive transfer in skill development between sports. for example, and this is one aspect that's overplayed, but it just comes to mind. You often hear people going on about the amazing skills of, you know, a Rob Carney or a Robbie Henshaw or a Shane Horgan because they happen to play a little bit of minor football once upon a time. They're completely overblown. But there's no doubt there is a transfer in certain skills between sports. And that, again, has to be a positive for when the final decision is made, is made as to what sport you want to concentrate on in adult life. Also heading towards adult life as well, you mentioned the bulk that I suppose is on uh, a lot of elite rugby players at the moment. And I even remember watching the documentary where sports stars uh, swap codes. Uh, Aaron Kernan of Armagh went over to Sunderland and trained there for a while. And you could see that even his body shape and type was completely different to the modern day professional footballer. So there seems to be almost a ghettoization of each different sport in that you have to get down a very specific route if you want to play each of them. And, and isn't that sad, Richie? Well, it you absolutely, that, 100% is, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's where there's so much about modern sport to admire. There's no doubt guys are fitter, they're better conditioned, there's so much better understanding of nutrition, you know, the right, how best to prepare yourself for games. And yet I do think there's a price to be paid for that, and that is probably it. 
where, and, and look, I say this in the nicest way, probably one of the greatest full forwards who ever played the game was Jimmy Keaveney. Yeah, Jimmy didn't have, the, I think he'd be the first to admit the greatest shape himself. I think you'd term the, 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 the term he uses low centre of gravity for Jimmy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What a footballer. Yeah. You know, what a player, what a sportsman. So look, you know, I get where it's going. I understand sports science, but I think there is a price being paid for it. Tony, just before we move to your new role with Limerick, uh, Jim Sherwin said in the interview there, nice to be in the headlines for the right reasons. Now, a lot of people who are listening to this weren't around in 1982. You might enlighten them. Oh, well, I guess there was a lot of controversy, obviously, with the uh, with the, the infamous tour to uh, oh, Australia in 1979 when I went out as European Player of the Year and uh, and won Seamus Oliver Campbell. Ali Campbell uh, was also was the other out half and Ali won his place on that tour under somewhat con- controversial circumstances at the time out there because uh, I was playing particularly well, but, you know, for whatever reason, that's what happened. And it was more than justified in terms of uh, Ali's performance on that tour. We won both tests. But I guess that started off uh, oh, a great divide between, you know, whether you were pro-Ward, pro-Campbell, anti-whatever. And it went on for many years afterwards. So there was a lot of controversy yeah. uh, surrounding my career over the years. And, and probably various things. Like I, I was very much against uh, the apartheid stance in South Africa. So I refused to tour with Ireland in 81, which would have been just prior to that as well. So that might have been hot at the time that, that Jim Sherwin asked that particular question. Um, a, lo- a lot of things of, the, of that ill came into play. But, you know, I, and when I look back and I hate it, uh, when I was doing that that autobiography you referred to recently, um, I just hated having to go back over that stuff because all I wanted to do was play sport. I just love sport. I love people being involved in sport. I see the benefits of it. And I, I'm glad to say that I've had a very happy sporting life, despite the ups and downs, and they come with the territory as well. Yep, and I have your autobiography, 12 Feet Tall, in my hand as we speak. Um, speaking of enjoying sport, Limerick are enjoying their football at the moment. They are breezing it in the first division. How delighted are you to see them bouncing back straight away, having dropped out of the Premier League in unlucky circumstances last season? Yeah, they were very unlucky to lose in, uh, in Bally Buffet. Uh, very close to the end of the game. It was really... Uh, heartbreaking way to go down but that said it was over the course of the season if you remember they started last season absolutely appallingly they had a terrible run and then at the end Martin Russell got it together and I have to say the football I was down there I'm trying to think yeah the, the, the first game back in the Marcus Field uh, I was at that game against Drahad and again they lost on the night but the football they played was absolutely superb like it's lovely to watch it's, it's to the feet it's the way I was brought up understanding the game um, keeping possession being patient. And that's the way this team is playing now. I, on some very difficult surfaces, I must say. I went along to see them last Friday week against UCD in Belfield, and they were pushed all the way by a very good UCD side. But the pitch in Belfield is not great, as you know, because it hosts yeah. rugby as well as soccer there. Uh, but again, the football Limerick played on the night was just a joy to behold. My involvement with the club has nothing to do with the success they're having at the moment. I'm delighted for Pat O'Sullivan, because, the chairman, because his heart and soul uh, is, has gone into that club. Um, the, the story behind that, Oshin, very quickly, is that um, Pat and uh, Dr. James Ring, the CEO of the Limerick Chamber, approached me during the off the football off season back in early December, and asked me would I consider getting involved in in, in an honorary capacity. Um, and the position they put up first, I wasn't interested in doing, um, but they came back to me and said, "Look, we'd love you to be president." And I remember talking to. Um, Oh, Phil Coulter, uh, who has occupied the same role for role for Derry City, 
and uh, I know how much he enjoyed it. He's a native of Derry, as you know, yeah. even though he lives in Dublin. Um, but the bottom line is that it, it was yet involved for all the right reasons to, to, to bridge the gap between the old and the new in Limerick Football Club. In other words, generations from times past, uh, from that, that uh, 80, 83 period, and indeed before that, uh, a lot of players who thankfully are still alive and kicking today, uh, to bring it up to, to the modern and to try and invest in sport in Limerick. Hmm. Uh, as you know, J.P. McMahon has... Ha- ha- has on uh, on all Limerick jerseys, Sporting Limerick, and that sums the Treaty City up. And to be involved in sport in any way in Limerick, I, I just feel so privileged to be, and I'm delighted to be back involved in that respect, and just so glad to be able to help out in some small way. I guess it, it makes going out to the community a bit easier when you have a home, and Limerick are back in their traditional home, the Market Fields, and we know how... We know how, um, I suppose, attached fans get to the mythology of their ground. It's the same with Munster fans and Thilman Park and Manchester United supporters in Old Trafford. I'm a Cork City fan and I would see Turner's Cross as, as our home, even though Cork has had a varied kind of life in the League of Ireland and previously has had two clubs. But, but my generation, Turner's Cross is the home. So, I mean, that, that must be a huge help that it's back where it belongs. That there's a kind of sense of everything is right with the world now. Yeah, and can I throw into that, O'Shea, as you're saying about Cork, and I would have played in all the grounds out of there, Flower Lodge, uh, Turner's Cross, etc. But Milltown, Glenmalure Park, that's where I was brought up. Like, I'm from Harold's Cross, so my youth was spent going over every second week to Milltown, uh, walking over there, might I add, and walking home again, and going to Sport Rovers, wherever you could in the city, whether it was over to Talca Park to play drums or shells, to Richmond to play Pats, even up to Drogheda and Dundalk, because they weren't that far away, but to play in Milltown. And then when Rovers lost that, when they sold in, in 87, and one very quick memory I have in that is uh, of being out playing in, in the World Cup, the first World Cup in 87 in, in Ballymore in uh, Brisbane. And my abiding memory of that game wasn't that we were playing in the World Cup. It was on the terracing everywhere. There were big banners, K-R-A-M, Keep Rovers at Milltown, uh, because obviously the games were being televised globally at that stage. Uh, but it's so sad to see Rovers go from Milltown. And I found it very, very difficult, you know, particularly when they went uh, across the Liffey, with respect. I am a Southsider, I'm proud. But when it was in Talca, when it was in Santry, um, it just wasn't the same. And, and they're back now and they have a great home in Tala on the south side. But for many, many years, it just wasn't the same. So, you know, a long-winded way of saying there is nowhere like the Marcus Field for football in Limerick. It is the heart and soul uh, of the city. It, it's from Gary Owen. It's where my own club were actually originally from. And they played in the Marcus Field many moons ago, even though they moved uh, out to Dura Doyle. But it is the home of football. And when Limerick went to Rathban and indeed to Thoman Park, just never the same. They're back where it matters most. And you want to see the ground now. If you haven't been, go. It's a fantastic experience. It's a fantastic experience. And it always helps when the team is performing well and will be back up in the Premier Division. Uh, we'd wager, I suppose, by the end of the summer, given the progress that they've made uh, so far. Uh, what's going to be your involvement with the club from here on in for the rest of the season, Tony? Well, I'll certainly be going to uh, a lot of games because obviously I have the extra interest now as well. And also, uh, on the back of not, not on the back of my involvement, but along with me being involved, uh, Pat has, has got... Uh, Many of the lads from uh, that period, that great period, again, I'm talking about when Limerick won the league, the couple were in Europe three years in a row, uh, on board as ambassadors. So it's a great opportunity for us to get back together again. At the moment, we only do it once a year for a golf outing, uh, but it it is nice. We still stay in touch in that respect. But now we've got um, a reason for going back to the ground more regularly together, and that adds to it as well. 
And I, I repeat, I'm just delighted to be able to do something in some positive way for Limerick Sport again. Uh, and, in, you know, in whatever small way I can do that, delighted to be on board. Tony, we're delighted to have had you on News Talk's SSE or Tristy League podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Richard. to one. What a pleasure it was to speak to the great Tony Ward, Ireland legend, Lions legend and Limerick FC legend as well. Such a nice guy as well. Really, just a top, 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 top person. What are you trying to say? He's a good guy. I remember the first time I met him in person and I was thinking, I don't know what this guy's going to be like because he was such a sporting icon. Yeah. Could not have been sounder and has always been that way. I've never had the pleasure. Unfortunately, I've only ever dealt with him. to bring him in at some stage, actually, because it it sounds like he's going to go to a lot of the games. He's not just going to get his picture in the Limerick Post and Limerick Leader and be happy with the praise. It sounds like he actually is going to get involved. In fact, I know for a fact he has already started getting involved and does go to games and has gone to games already. Uh, So we should get him in later in the season when Limerick are crowned first division champions in about three weeks. (laughs) Three weeks time. (laughs) We We should get him in and talk to him about Limerick style and all that jazz. Can I just say, outside of football and, and rugby what a guy to stand up in whatever it was 82 and say I'm not going to South Africa when it was so easy for everyone to say oh well sport is separate oh no we're actually helping the oppressed people in South Africa oh, yeah. we're highlighting it and I know it's easy to criticise people in retrospect but fair play to Tony Ward who stood know. up and said having gone there and seen people locked away in cages during games and he just said no Sorry, I, no. I, it's, wow. It is it is fairly easy to criticise people in retrospect, but you know to suggest that people didn't have a full notion by 1982 of what was going on in South Africa down there is, you know, if it was wrong. now you could say, look, there's no excuse because we see what's happening. Ah, people knew, people knew. Like this yeah. wasn't it wasn't just a sporting thing. I mean, there was yeah. bands crucified in around the same year actually. I know Queen went there in uh, the early to mid 80s and got absolutely like pilloried yeah. by everybody to the degree that. Uh, Stephen Van Zandt of the E Street Band put out a song uh, criticising obviously apartheid and criticising people who go to play it was Sun City was the venue in South Africa where that was like their Las Vegas pretty much yeah, yeah. it was pretty Still grim spectre to white society in South Africa and yeah they got pillory from Pillar Post but these, this brilliant possibly even more star studded than We Are The World in and around the same year I think it was like 85 was yeah. when they put out the song uh, which I'm going to clip in now As I say, I think it's easy for us to say this in retrospect now. Back in 1982, it was different. But Tony Ward, regardless of his achievements on the field, will always be a hero of mine for that. And obviously, I admire and respect what he's done on the field. And that makes him a hero on its own. But to take the stance he did on South Africa, just wow, wow. And Alfred as well. He's a fantastic ambassador for every sport he's chosen to represent uh, during his life. So fair play, Tony, and thank you for taking time out on the podcast. It was. And a busy week ahead. And what a fixture we have on our hands at Turner's Cross this coming Friday night. It's Cork City, who currently occupy second in the table against Derry, who, yes... They may have uh, dropped some points this week at home to Finn Harps, but they did have that fantastic win on the road away to St. Pat's last week. So Derry visiting Cork obviously looks like the highlight of this weekend's games. Yes, and that's not the game that's on TV. St. Pat's against Longford is on Satanta, Ireland. Wexford Youths host Shamrock Rovers and Finn Harps up against Dundalk in the first division. Limerick take on at Lone Town. Limerick, who are currently 
12 points clear. I had to double check that in the first division. Now, Waterford United meet Cabin Teeley, UCD take on Cove Ramblers, Drogheda United meet Shelburne, and Bray Wanderers take on Galway in the Premier Division on Saturday, while Sligo Rovers, who were beaten 3-0 by Shamrock Rovers during the week, up against Bohemians, who, as you heard from Keith Long earlier on, are in horrific form. If we didn't feature your club a whole pile today, it's because we don't rate you. You are minnows. No, but we bef- hate you. But before we go, we have to look up the Cabin Teeley game uh, this coming week against uh, Waterford in the First Division, because Roddy stoking those fires again, Oshin. He uh, called out John Delaney earlier in the week, looking for, or not earlier in the week, but earlier in the season, looking for a white-collar boxing match with the FAI Chief Executive. Now, he's turned his attention and his cannons toward uh, Cabin Teeley boss Eddie Gormley. He said his attitude towards the shocking state of the pitch at Strabbrook, that's the kind of thing that drove me to the comments that landed me with a recent six-match ban. He says, UCD boss Kyle O'Neill complained about the surface after their recent game, and quite simply, it was terrible, but Eddie was having none of it. Uh, Gormley responded to O'Neill's claims this is via buzz.e of course saying a good workman doesn't blame his tools I played at the top level for years and I played him worse than that I didn't moan and groan you just don't go into a sulk because the pitch is not up to Wembley standard but Roddy is having none of it I wrote what I wrote out of my own frustration and out of wanting the best for our league so Eddie I have no respect for you after reading those comments of course I'll be professional next weekend and I will shake his hand when we meet in Cabotili but I will have an absolute personal ambition to destroy his team on the pitch Rowdy Roddy Collins. There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die. He's Jim Gavin in opposite land. Jim Gavin, the Dublin manager, who never says anything. He's well capable of it. He's a he's a he's got a great footballing brain, but if you listen to his interviews, he never says anything. He doesn't give anything away. He talks yeah. for three minutes and fair play to him. Roddy is the exact opposite, so... Jim Gavin's cards are so close to his chest they're affecting his breathing. <laughs> yeah, whereas Roddy's... Roddy has a selfie stick to keep his cards so as far away from his chest as possible. Can I be? <laughs> Don't want to near me, stupid cards. Uh, yes, as we mentioned, you're minnows because we didn't talk about you this week, but we will be back yeah, with more of the same. Yeah, we don't like you. We don't rate you. Yeah, we'll be back more of the same or next week. as well. <laughs> no, you should see what they say about you backstage in Soccer Republic. Yeah. Uh, oh, Mark, do we have to cover them? All right, we mention them. At Richie McCormick on Twitter. At Hoshin Langan on Twitter. Talk to me. Bye bye.